Awesome, it's working. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks so much for coming to Reunions 2016. I hope that you're having a great weekend so far, and I hope that the weather stays like this for the rest of the time, and make sure and drink lots of water. <laughs> um, I just wanted to remind you, please turn off your cell phone ringers just to make sure that we don't get interrupted. <laughs> um, and there are evaluation forms next to y'all, so if you wouldn't mind filling those out once this is done, we'd really appreciate it. It does help us tailor our programming. On behalf of Lifetime Learning and in partnership with the Alumni Association, I would like to thank Nicole Aramo and Andy Petters for volunteering their time to speak to y'all today. Nicole Aramo is the Executive Director of Assessment and Planning in the Office of the Vice President and Chief Student Affairs Officer. In this role, she leads divisional efforts around assessment and planning and emergency preparedness and response, as well as taking the lead on major initiatives to strengthen programs and services for students. Andy Petters has been an Assistant Dean with Housing and Residence Life since 2012. Petters works most closely with the first-year residential areas and co-advises the class council for first-year students. He is also the advisor for UVA's chapter of Phi Eta Sigma Honor Society. Please help me welcome Nicola Ramo and Andy Petters. Thank you. Is this Thank working you. for me? I don't know. We were going to start off because this is a, a podcast that we wanted to do a little SNL kind of reenactment of delicious dish. <laughs> right. But <laughs> and we figured you all would get that um, and, and have a little NPR component. Right. So we may be a little mellow and monotone. We're going to talk in mellow tones yes. for the rest of the session. Yes, yeah. good times, good times. <laughs> but we'll pep it up a little bit, so yeah. don't worry. It's going to be fun and engaging, and most of what we're going to do is really open the floor up to you all for questions. Yeah, we've, we've picked some topics to talk about, but definitely if there are things that are of interest to you that we haven't mentioned, ooh, ah, um, feel free to, to ask those questions toward the end. Um, just a little bit more by way of introduction of myself, I um, am an alum in the university. I graduated from the college in 97 and the Curry School in 03 and 10. Um, my first job here was the special assistant to the honor committee, so that was my, my first intro into student affairs. And I was hooked there and went, went to Curry and worked while I was in Curry as an assistant dean and an associate dean in the dean of students office and was a colleague of Andy's until moving to the vice president's office in the last year or so. Um, again, as I thought we would start out with just talking a little bit about sort of the things that undergird the work that we do in student affairs and in the Dean of Students Office more generally. We have some core values that you work from, that we work from in the student affairs division across the board that we like to communicate to our staff. This is something that our Vice President, Pat Lampkin, when she was on sabbatical several years ago, came up with. I think she's considering you know, whether or not they need to be rethought, but some of these are, are major underpinnings of our experience and something that we think about often. Honor, obviously, academic rigor, which is a huge part of the UVA experience, self-governance, public service, diversity and multiculturalism and health and wellness. And I think you'll see some of the priorities that we're going to talk about today and update you on are definitely things that fall under these important values of the institution and of student affairs. 
And specifically within our Office of the Dean of Students, um, as it indicates up there, what we're focused on is creating opportunities for engagement that leads to our students here at the university being true citizen leaders. And that's accomplished through the array of different programs, services, and offices that we have within the larger Dean of Students umbrella. And one thing that has evolved over the past year um, and was announced this summer was some changes and restructuring within our office. And I just wanted to highlight a few of those to get a sense of how we operate a little bit within the Dean of Students office. So we have four main organizational groups now, and one of those is focused on transition and community, and that's led by one of our professionals that includes housing and residence life, orientation, new student programs, and then also our transfer student support that we have. Um, the second area that we have within the office is involvement in space, and our individual who leads that area, his work is a little bit more focus on Newcomb uh, centers and services, which isn't just Newcomb, but the array of student centers that we have across the university and may have expanded since your time as students here. Um, Marsh Patty is the individual who leads that office and that includes our fraternity and sorority life, um, our student activities that we have um, here on grounds, and then obviously the business and facilities functions within running all those different centers. Our third area is inclusion and service. And here, this is kind of a way to describe the, the key individuals that we have within the Dean of Students Office that works with some of our underrepresented uh, student groups that we have. Um, so we have certain program coordinators and individuals that um, are leading those efforts. And we have an assistant dean who will be helping to open a new multicultural student center for us in Newcomb. And we're looking to have that open here in August. Our fourth area is safety and access. And we'll be talking a little bit about safety um, in a few minutes. But here, what we're, um, what this area is focused on is our crisis response. And right now, for example, I'm the dean on call for the university. So although I turn my phone on silent, it is still out there and I can see if someone's making a phone call, which I hope that I don't have to answer in the middle of her time. Yeah, at least for an hour. Right. Um, and so we have someone on call here at the university 24-7. Whenever anything happens of concern, there's always a dean available to meet with and talk with the student, primarily to offer our support. It's not about that individual necessarily being in trouble, which is usually a first reaction of our student, but it's more how can we make sure that they have the resources available, which could be things at the university or to prepare them for a potential legal process. So we wanted to let you know that there's been a little bit of transition and restructuring within our office, but the core of what we're about is our students. And most of the things that we do, because we have a fairly lean staff, is through the support of our student leaders in a self-governance fashion. And that's definitely true in our Housing and Residence Life Office, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. So um, kind of dovetailing with what Andy said, you, as he's going to talk a little bit about safety in a few minutes, and though safety isn't necessarily a, a named core value, I think if Pat was here, she would say it undergirds everything we do. Because if a student doesn't feel safe here, if they, they can't, 
study successfully. They can't be involved in a student organization. They can't govern the, govern the institution the way we hope that they will. So safety really undergirds everything we do at UVA to, in, in student affairs. So here, here are the things we decided to talk a little bit about things we thought you might want an update on and then things that were priorities throughout the year. And many of these priorities, again, kind of overlay with the things that we have restructured to focus on in the Dean of Students office. Um, that first is student safety. Uh, the second is activities and student activities and involvement. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about climate and I'll mention, I'll talk a little bit more about the new multicultural center and how that came to be. Uh, I want to talk about honor and student self-governance because I know that's often very important to alums. It's certainly important to me. And we're going to talk about housing and residence life. Okay, so safety and where we are and where we're moving with our safety initiatives. So in December of 2014, the university created an ad hoc group which was really um, focused on university climate and culture. And several things stem from that analysis of where we are and making sure that all of our students do feel safe here, both on grounds and within the Charlottesville community. Um, one of those was the creation of a public safety substation, which is located on the corner. If you've been out and about since you've been back on grounds today, you maybe have noticed that that's a shared uh, substation between the university police and the Charlottesville police. And it's very close by. It's in kind of the heart of where a lot of our after hours activities are. And uh, so that way when students ever feel like they may need to talk to someone, they know exactly where they can go. And that uh, substation is staffed 24-7. We also, in conjunction with that substation, have a fleet of ambassadors. And these are individuals who wear brightly colored, I forget what color neon it is. Yellow. Neon yellow. And those individuals are there to really answer questions, help people navigate grounds and the area just off grounds. Um, but after hours, they're looking out for anything that might be problematic. This could be someone, you know, lurking around a car or an individual who's maybe had too much alcohol. The ambassadors would, um, if they noticed that, they would respond right away and they would call the police or determine what would be best for that situation. And they do walking patrols around the corner and then they also do bike patrols in the area just behind the corner and their new jurisdiction includes all the way down JPA. So wherever our students are living off grounds, we now have this extra layer of eyes and ears out in the community um, looking out for our students and, and helping us be even safer. And then in terms of education and prevention efforts, these are the things that we're doing to be even more proactive in trying to create culture change here at the university. And those are things through our sexual violence programs. One of those you may have heard about is called Green Dot. Um, and that's a, a nationwide program that we brought here where we're trying to um, instill that desire within our student population to be really positive bystanders and individuals of when they notice something that they act in some way and it doesn't mean that they have to 
be, you know, the individual who pushes someone away or does something overly active, it could be at least distracting an individual to then allow a person to get somewhere safer than where they might be at that moment. And that's been a really positive development within our student um, population here of one act at a time trying to make sure that we create a, a safer area for sexual violence. Hazing, we have several um, groups that are looking at hazing and figuring out how we address that, not just within our fraternity and sorority life community, but within our student organizations. Um, it's always something that amazes um, alums and just visitors to the university because everyone thinks it's a Greek life issue and it's really much larger than that and so we're working to try and figure out how to respond again from a prevention and proactive effort. Um, I've already mentioned bystander intervention and Green Dot but then we've also really revised and overhauled our fraternity um, agreements with the university so there's higher expectations of what events look like and how they should respond to situations. So safety is the number one thing that I think that we really do focus on and that has maybe changed a little bit from your time here when you were a student at the university. So we're going to talk a little bit about something else that stemmed from this ad hoc group's effort and that was figuring out through our student activities organizations how could we have more events offered after hours that didn't involve alcohol and really left a positive legacy here at the university. And so we've um, worked with student organizations to find ways um, for them to host these events, whether it's a Newcomb, the amphitheater, wherever it might be on grounds. And if you notice up there, when, it look, when you look at the number of events that we've had, um, we had a total of 72 events that were in that time frame that we considered after hours and that were uh, in collaboration with us on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. Um, the biggest attended event is a late night breakfast. And we've found that food tends to be the main enticer. That hasn't changed maybe since you were a student here. And we're going to try and figure out ways in the upcoming year of how we can replicate those things that worked really well in trying out and launching this program this year so that we can make it even better for next year. Something else that's exciting is um, we have a new space on the corner which will serve as uh, after hours events, but also events during the day for our students. Some of the building will be dedicated for student organizations to maybe have practices or meetings or just hang out. But what we're envisioning is that this building, the Lloyd Building, will also have um, maybe a coffee house feel to it so we can have open mic nights and just things going on on the corner that are a part of the university and the student organizations that are eager to be out there on the corner doing these amazing events and that we want to give space and opportunity for those groups to make that happen. So this building, the Lloyd Building, was the old student bookstore. And this was a privately run student bookstore for a long period of time. And the upper level had apartments in it. 
and I don't think anyone has lived in those apartments for a long time based off of the condition they were in when the university uh, took over that building and they've decided to fully renovate the whole inside area to bring it up to code and standard and then like I said use it as a multifunction type of opportunity so we're really looking forward to that building coming together. I think another issue we've worked on a lot is the, the climate for student the student body and making sure that students, maybe in underserved communities, feel welcome and comfortable at the university. And I'm going to talk about a few initiatives there. And that's something that has changed and expanded quite a bit in the time that, since the time that I started as a student and in the time that I've worked here. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the new multicultural center, the expanded LGBTQ center, um, some of the other populations that we've started programming with, and, and talk a little bit about that for you. I think it's an area, again, where we've, we've put a lot of effort and a lot more resources than maybe you saw when you were here, and I think we're really proud of the eff those efforts and where they're going in the future. Thank you. Um, first, with the Multicultural Center, as, as many of you probably know, we had a very difficult incident with a student last year um, in the spring semester, Martise Johnson, and it was not, uh, it didn't happen on grounds, it happened off grounds, and it happened with an ABC officer, not one of our university police officers, but it certainly reignited conversations that I'm sure you all remember from when you were here about students of color especially feeling unwelcome on grounds in areas where they felt they, the, the institution just wasn't as inclusive as it could be. Um, and so we've worked with students over the past year, and it's been a student-driven in, in, initiative to open a new multicultural center. We've had program coordinators and assistant deans over the years in the dean of students office focusing on uh, students of color. We, off, we have the Office of African American Affairs um, in student affairs directly. And then in the dean of students office, we have a program coordinator who works with Asian, and, um, Asian students, a program coordinator who works with multicultural identified students in Latino community, the Muslim community, and other communities. So we've had those positions, but they haven't necessarily had a space where those communities could meet, like OAAA has, has space. Um, those communities have not had an identified space. Um, though they had these professionals to work with. And the professionals themselves, though in the same facility, didn't necessarily have a facility that was for them or for their communities. So that was something that the students really felt strongly that we needed. Um, we have had an LGBTQ resource center for, for many years, for over 10 years now. But um, there wasn't a similar space for these other communities and they wanted the uh, these students really said uh, a really broad-based group of students said we really want space where we could be together not necessarily even in our particular community but where those communities can come together and have dialogue with uh, students across the board so that's something that we've supported through the Dean of Students office with a new center that will be located in Newcomb it will be right next to the LGBTQ Center in the basement and it will have space for these program coordinators as well as an assistant dean who will be overseeing the center and thinking through how this programming can 
um, really help our student leaders who, as you know, we have an array of student organizations that are um, racial or ethnic based. So really helping those students think through what they want to do, what kind of advocacy, what kind of support do they need, um, how do we best support them in the, in the initiatives they would like to have move forward, as well as having a space for meeting and greeting and celebration. So um, we're really excited about this initiative. We hope to open the space in, in August for our students, and we're excited to see what comes up in the next year. In addition, as I said, we've had an LGBTQ center for a long time. It's moved locations a few different times, and it was in a fairly cramped space in its last um, identity on the fourth floor of Newcomb. Um, and some space became available in the Newcomb basement, and we decided to move into that space, which allowed for some expansion of the center um, and more ability to serve more students. So again, this is another safe space for students, a space for students to come and talk about identity issues. Uh, it's also a very confidential space for them in terms of being able to speak with each other and not being very out in the open, which is really important to some students in that community. So it's become, it was very well received over the years and the new space is being very well used and we have a program coordinator again who works with that space. And it'll be nice to have the multicultural space and the space together, again, for communities to come together and dialogue. So that'll be exciting. Some areas that over the past few years, we've really started to focus on our access for low-income students and first-generation students. Sometimes the, those issues go hand-in-hand, hand, sometimes they don't, but we've expanded some programming for those students and allowing them to feel more welcome as first years, get better acclimated to the institution, get some targeted information about um, FAFSA. We have a FAFSA opportunity where they can come in and ask questions and help prepare the FAFSA, which if you, any of you have done that, it's an incredibly confusing document. Um, so there's a lot of targeted outreach to these communities. In addition, not, not shown here, there has been some targeted outreach to veteran students. We don't have a huge population of veteran students, but that's, that population has been increasing over the years and so we want to make sure that those students are served and their special needs are served um, as well as transfer students where we've we've had some targeted outreach to those students for many years but we've now placed that with a particular dean who's really overseeing that in a more focused way so we'll hopefully see some more programming in that area I wanted to touch a little bit on honor and, and briefly on self-governance. Um, as some of you may heard, and I think there's an article in the alumni magazine this, this summer about honor, in the last several years, there's been a good bit of change to the honor system at the university in response to many student issues and faculty concerns that have come up over the years. Uh, one of those changes was a fairly significant change about three years ago called the informed retraction, which provides an opportunity for a student to take personal responsibility for an, an honor offense they may have committed even after they may have been brought up into the system. They have a short period of time to take this option. Um, and then they leave the institution for two semesters. But then they are welcomed back into the community and, and to return. Now, this is only an, an option they can only take at one time, and they can only use it for one particular offense. So it's not an option for anybody who has 
has committed multiple offenses or commits an offense again. But it's been something that the um, committee, again, brought in under a student referendum vote three years ago and something they've been working with. And we've seen more and more students taking that option over the last few years. Um, but in the past year, another a referenda came up with about two years ago, the the referendum came up to that required the honor committee to put something on the ballot regarding a potential change to the sanction, which they did in this past year. So it required them two years ago to put something on the ballot this spring. And the committee put a lot of effort into considering what would be the most responsible thing to do in that short period of time. And what they ended up doing was putting up a general, um, a general proposal that basically would have taken the opportunity for only permanent expulsion out of the Constitution and then would have put with an independent review commission what to do with that option, whether what would be some alternatives that they could potentially present. Um, that was not passed in the referendum this spring. However, it was a very close vote. So the Honor Committee did decide to go ahead with the Review Commission, not necessarily to just focus on the sanction, but to focus more broadly on the, the state of the system in the 21st century and how do we move forward with a healthy and honor system into the future. So they may be considering the sanctioning policy as well as the entire process and really talking to students, talking to faculty in a really deep and thoughtful way about what, how we bring the system into the future in a responsible way. So that's kind of what's been going on with Honor. It's been a very active few years with the committee. Um, and we've had some great leadership. I, again, had the pleasure of being the special assistant for several years and was always impressed with the students whom I worked with and continue to be impressed with them um, as I've worked with them kind of as an outside advisor these last few years. And I'm excited to be part of that commission over the next two years. So that's going to be um, some great, some hard work, but some really exciting work that we'll be doing. Well, the transition a little bit over to Housing and Residence Life, which is my bread and butter, because this is what I do on a daily basis. Um, Housing and Residence Life is a component, as I mentioned, of the Dean of Students Office. Back in the day, there was a housing division and there was a Residence Life Office. We came together and we're together forever now. Um, we're Housing and Residence Life, and that means, I told the tour group earlier today, that we consider the student experience now even more closely in our construction efforts and our renovations. And I think that's crucial so that we're not building things that people don't want to live in, that we're building things that people can really create a home in in a strong community. But one of those things that hasn't changed is the resident staff program. We have over 200 student leaders that are involved in different levels. We have RAs still, we have senior residents, who, are, who function like undergraduate hall directors. And then we have a chair of our resident staff program. Something that's new this summer is we've added, instead of having program coordinators, now we have vice chairs. And those different vice chairs work closely with the chair in some certain functional areas to keep um, that student self-governance really rich in our department. So just wanted to show you, and this was our resident staff 
photo from last year and it doesn't reflect this but it was a, like a thousand degrees outside that day so for all of us to have been dressed up in uh you know our best picture outfit was hard to maintain our composure but we managed to uh, something else about housing and residence life is that we have three residential colleges, uh, Brown, Hereford, and the IRC. Each of those colleges have an academical element to it where there is a faculty principal that lives in, a director of studies that also lives in the community. And um, so each of those communities has a different academic focus and a direction that's guided by those faculty members. And there's a student council within each two that really helps the community be strong. We have language houses over in Shea, uh, the French house and Spanish house. Um, just off of Brandon Avenue, and that's um, a real vibrant area where individuals choose to live in those communities, and, and the whole time that they're in there, they're speaking that language that's designated for that area. Um, transfer students, we have a large number of transfer students that as they're coming into the university, they're choosing to live on grounds with us. So traditional first-year students are required to live on grounds, but transfer students don't have to. And they can live anywhere on grounds, but we have certain areas that tend to have more spaces open when transfer students are applying. So this next year in our Lambeth and uh, Johnson and Whedon buildings, we'll have a fairly large transfer community. And that concentration of transfer students allows us to do some specialized work and programs um, so that as those new students come into the university, they get similar support to traditional first years. And the second year experience, um, I know is an effort that Nicole is working on um, in conjunction with our office so that we, you know, as new students come in, you probably remember that there's the orientation in the summer, there's a fall orientation, there's so much that happens. You have association deans, special events with your RAs as a first year student, and then you get to your second year and it's like, hello, I'm, I'm still here, I'm still a student. And for us, in thinking about, you know, we have around 40 to 45% of second years that choose to live on grounds with us. But even those second years that aren't living on grounds, we want to make sure that we as a university have a second year experience that provides ongoing support and transition for those students. And, of course, the most exciting thing is all the facility upgrades that we've been doing across grounds. And yes, this picture is of new, 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 new dorms over along Alderman Road. And if I see some familiar faces from the tour this morning, um, you got to see Gibbons. And know there's another tour on Sunday at 1230. Just meet out the front door of Gibbons right along Alderman Road. And you'll get an opportunity to see the inside of that particular building. But we've been working really hard over the last 15 maybe plus years to make the Alderman Road community the community that we think it should be, which is hall style buildings, air conditioning, um, not huge areas. So each wing has around 20 to 25 students and each of those wings has an RA 
and its own bathroom. And we found that this new model for Alderman Road has been extremely well received by our students. But we do do surveys after each phase of our construction project. And so we get better along the way. And by the time we got to Gibbons, which just opened up back in August, I think we reached kind of that ideal. And the challenge is going to be for when we take down Courtney Dungleson and Fitzhugh. I know a little tear for any of you who lived in those three buildings. It's going to happen in the next five to eight years. Um, we'll hope to continue that Alderman Road effort. And this is um, some inside views of Gooch and Dillard, which have also gone through renovation. And Gooch and Dillard now house uh, only first-year students other than the RAs and senior residents that live out there. If you've been walking around grounds, you may notice that Dillard is completely fenced in. And that's not just for like fun. Um, that's because we're doing renovation work to Dillard over the next year. But Gooch has been fully renovated. And we're excited that the rest of that community will be open for incoming first years next year. And what we're doing in there is pretty extensive on the inside. May not look like much from the outside, but when you go in, I tell you, it's pretty nice. And these pictures behind me reflect that in terms of new bathrooms, new furniture, new flooring, new air conditioning system to really make that community a lot more sought after, even though our first year students don't get to pick where they live on grounds. But hopefully by 2020, as we talk about McCormick Road, that all of our first year communities will have fairly standard amenities. Because what we're doing to McCormick Road, old dorms, is we're going from old to cold. That's been our tagline. We think it's pretty cool, literally. And um, we're starting with, you've noticed probably the fencing on McCormick Road. So utility work is happening. And I hope that incoming first years don't think they're getting air conditioning next year because they'll be in for a rude awakening when we get to August. It's not going to really start in full force until May of 2017 where we'll do different stages. We'll probably do about three buildings at a time. And that's why it's going to take us until... 2020 to get that done. Um, but then all of our first year buildings will have generally the same amenities across the board. And at the same time, we're focused on our upper class areas. And those pictures behind me are of Faulkner. Yep. Yep. And so we did a little bit of work to Faulkner. Um, we put in new kitchens. Um, worked on the flooring and the bathrooms and the air conditioning systems in there. And so it's an important value for us that we don't spend all of our money, time, and energy with first-year students because we want students to live on grounds for all four years. Um, and we know it's hard to compete with off-ground landlords that have deals and T-shirts and, oh, my gosh, look at all this fun, crazy things that we have going on. But we're hoping to compete even more besides doing renovation work by actually building some upper class housing in key zones. And I know our Board of Visitors is continuing to review possible areas for where that would be. And we're ready. We're ready to do it. It's just a matter of time. And we'll work with the board, obviously, to figure out when and where that would be. So with that. Yeah. What questions do you all have? If you can hold your question until the mic gets to you, that would be great. We're podcasting. 
you. Um, this is so great to hear about. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm wondering about the advisor system. I had read that there had been kind of a renewed effort at advising, and um, for first years especially. Is that ongoing? Is it? Are there changes you can talk about? It's ongoing. It's part of the cornerstone plan is an idea called total advising, and that's coming out of the provost's office. Um, and what they're really trying to do is better group the different pockets of advising that we have from career to your um, undergraduate advising in the college and things like that, um, the things that we do, trying to make it more evident like where you go for certain things. And there's been talk of having a space potentially in Clemens Library where people would have office hours from different offices. It would be any, sort of an easy access space for advising. Um, I know the college has really increased their efforts at outreach um, from the first in the first year community to ensure that students understand who their association dean is and how that's different from their academic dean and how they can make changes in those areas if they need to. They're doing a lot more multimedia work in that area than they have in the past. Um, but that's an effort that's coming out of the provost's office that we've um, engaged in in conversations with them, but it's still kind of ongoing. One thing that student affairs has really taken on is a tremendous amount of resourcing in the career space. Um, so our career center has completely been revamped. Uh, they've literally added something like 20 positions in the last two years. Um, they've gone to a new model in terms of advising into different career grouping areas. So um, there's a lot of work being done in career that's um, really falling into this total advising space. And I know there's a lot of collaboration between um, our executive, our VP who works around, or our associate VP who works in career, and the folks in the provost office who are thinking through total advising. You mentioned around the dorms going more to the to the hall style. So was that a, around just a lot of feedback? You get more context on that versus the suite style that I was used to in, in the new dorms. Just curious. Yeah, I'm a little partial to the suite style myself. Uh, I am not an alum of the University of Virginia, although the biggest compliment I got this morning during the dorm tour is someone asked me what year I graduated from UVA, and I was like, if only. <laughs> um, and so when I was an undergrad at a different school, I lived in a suite style building for four years and absolutely loved having that smaller community within a much larger one. What we did in looking at Alderman Road, which was all suite style for the longest time, is to determine, based off of student input, what would be the best for them to feel like they could make friendships, to interact with other students, to have those common areas that are not just for your particular suite, but for a group of 20 to 40 individuals. And that's the direction that we felt made sense for UVA um, because every year I think when students compare their experience when they live in McCormick Road versus Alderman Road in the three suite style buildings that we have or Gooch Dillard, there is a different sense of identity and feel um, based on that style and environment. And so wherever possible we're going to create that hall style area and so when we're renovating uh, an area like Gooch Dillard which we can't make hall style it's just it's impossible it's always going to be suites 
that we're trying to revive and rejuvenate the lounges that are there to fit more people and to be spaces where the whole community could really come together. But it's really based off student input. Everything we do here um, needs to be based around our students because they're the ones living there. And um, it may seem like an old-fashioned trend to have double-loaded corridors, but that's what they want. actually have two questions. Um, long, long ago, uh, I graduated from School of Nursing, and when I uh, was a second year nursing student, I lived in McKim, or maybe the, what we used, we used to call it the nursing dorm, which was down Brandon Avenue. I still saw the, see that building on the map, but it's not part of the university anymore. What happened to it? And then my second question I'll just go ahead and do is um, the retraction part of the honor is that across the board, or are there certain infractions where that wouldn't apply either? I can't answer your first question because I'm not sure. I know down that in that area there's been a great deal of construction and taking down buildings and putting up a parking garage and a lot, so I'm not sure. There is a McKim Hall, which is a new nursing space, but it's not a, a residential building. Um, on your second question, yes, it's across any type of honor offense. It can be used to to deal with that honor offense, which is only lying, cheating, or stealing. So, yeah. And to go back to your first question, there are several buildings and zones on Brandon Avenue that are owned by the university's foundation. Um, that that building may still exist. It may be owned by the foundation, but not used in the same intent that it was before. But then again, uh, as Nicole said, with all the construction and the South Lawn creation from an academic space, um, I know like the old German house is, is gone. And um, I don't know what map is out there. Um, hopefully that our colleagues in Alumni Hall have given you the most recent map. But we may need to chat with them and make sure it's up to date. So sorry for any confusion. I, okay, yeah, they, it, it may be something the foundation owns yeah. then, yeah. Thank you all so much for hosting this panel. It's been so informative. I had a question. Um, you talked about renewing the commitment to student self-governance, which as an alum, and I think most of us in this room would say we highly appreciate and value. I was wondering, though, if you find that in conjunction with the fact that a lot of students do still live off grounds, um, and I know you spoke to uh, initiatives like the ambassadors when you're trying to work in terms of safety issues, but do you find it difficult as student affairs officers in terms of monitoring issues like mental health problems? And if so, do you have any initiatives or programming that might be designed to target those issues? One thing that's, uh, one thing I like to focus on in answering that question, which is a great one, is that the way that students care about each other here at the university um, continues long beyond maybe the time that they have together as a first year. And so if a student, let's say, is living with friends in the Grandmark um, or living off Wortland Street in a house, that they are pretty comfortable with making sure if one of their friends is feeling down um, or having thoughts of self-harm, that they reach out either to our counseling and psychological services office directly, or they reach out to our dean of students office. Our dean on call program uh, certainly applies to students whether they live on or off grounds. I think that we have, 
at least in housing and residence life, worked on how we can partner with student council to be responsive to the needs of students who are living off grounds, even though that may seem a little counterproductive if we're trying to keep everyone on grounds, but we want to make sure that students feel supported, that they're not getting taken advantage by their landlord, um, that there's uh, an awareness through website materials of checklists and things to go over to make sure where they're living. Um, they know where certain paths are that have lights and call boxes and things like that, that they would feel safe. I think that that's something the university continues to grapple with, though, of when you live on grounds, you have all the, the tools and resources right there. And when you are choosing to live off, um, I think in some cases students are doing so because they want more freedom. Um, and they don't want the same RA or oversight that they may have when they're on grounds. And so what we try to convey is that in our upper class areas that the RA role is very different. And it's less about um, looking out for alcohol and trouble in the dorms and more, hey, you know, are you doing okay and how can I help you? Because an RA in Lambeth, let's say, may have 50 residents compared to an RA in first year area that has like 25. And I do think one of the things when I moved over to Dean of Students, and it certainly pervades student affairs more broadly, is you, I don't think we see our Dean of Students office as like the principal's office. We want to try to make it a space that students feel comfortable coming with any type of problem or question. And while we might not be able to solve it, there's somebody there who can um, help guide them through it. And certainly mental, mental health issues are something that we would definitely want students to come forward and talk with us about. And we do find students would walk in on a regular basis to ask about a friend or, or come in themselves and talk about concerns that they might have. Um, so that was definitely a big part of what we would do in, in that office. Um, and again, with the focus trying to shift some focus to the second year experience, we found that that is a, a very vulnerable year. It's kind of that in-between year where you haven't figured out what your major is yet. You might not be really engaged in, in your academic life yet. You're not really sure what to do yet. Um, yet you've been here, you don't need all the orientation stuff again. again. So we're really thinking through what what can we do to be um, partners with students in the second year to help them understand the resources and support that's still available to them as second-year students? It's not like they've aged out of all of the things that we do for students. So um, I'll be working a lot over the next year thinking through um, what we can do for a more focused kind of second-year experience. Good afternoon. Um, I'm getting old. How is it your your alumni year already? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going, oh my God. Time is passing. Okay. Sorry. Ask your question. And everyone looks young in this audience. <laughs> Ghosts of Christmas past. Yes. <laughs> so I read about the new uh, Multicultural Student Center coming online this fall and just wanted to know more about that and how that you know impacts um, like the other centers, like the LGBTQ Center and others. Yeah, I had talked about that a little bit earlier, but it's going to be located in Newcomb right next to the LGBTQ Center to hopefully um, foster collaboration and community engagement across all the all the different communities that are here. Um, it's going to be a dedicated space where the program coordinators who work with um, students of color can um, will have their offices, and it's also going to be a gathering space for students. So 
and an assistant dean will be working in that space as well to help uh, coordinate programming and to help ensure that it's the vibrant space that we want it to be and to help our students think through um, in their how they can best use the space through their different organizations. We, we want it to be a space where students feel welcome and comfortable. We also want it to be a space where students feel like they can dialogue with one another and have the important conversations that we need to have. So um, we are really excited about the possibilities. And a lot of it's still being thought through and worked out, but we hope to have the space built out in August and the staffing is already set as of June 1. And you know they're all talking about you know, where this is going. It was a student-led initiative, and so we're very much engaged, as we, we always are in these situations with our students, about what they want and need from this. Yeah. I'm not sure this is totally in your wheelhouse, but I'll ask anyway. Um, I'm curious sort of what the thinking might be right now on enrollment growth. Because I know when I was here five years ago, um, it's sort of a key issue, and there's sort of an assumption it seemed like that the undergraduate body would keep growing potentially somewhat significantly over a few years, both, both because sort of political pressure from the General Assembly and then also as a central part of the financial model. So I'm curious if that's still sort of the thinking or the assumption, if there's any maybe consensus on what a peak or optimal size might be to sort of maintain the student experience as it is right now. I think we've reached our uh, optimal size, if you will. Uh, we may be a little over that. Uh, our admission office does a really good job. It's not, I think what they do is not necessarily a hard science, but they've, they've figured it out over the years. And we generally have met our desired target in a given year, which is around 3725 to 3750. We did, around five years ago, begin creeping up, let's say maybe, 50 to 100 in a given year. And um, I think from different layers of the university, whether it's our colleagues on the academic side or even with us in the Dean of Students Office, felt that if we grow much larger than what we are right now, then we would lose a sense of identity as to what UVA is. Because we're not like some other big flagship schools, which are huge. and. Um, I can't imagine what that would look like. I mean, I would just get overwhelmed if UVA um, wanted to shoot up real far, like um, NC State, where I had done my undergrad and grad work, which is you know over 30,000 students. Um, so I think this is a really good level for us to still have all of our first years living together in a shared area. Um, and then what we have to figure out is if we do either from our board or from the General Assembly or whoever, um, move up, then what does that look like? How do we expand our advising options? How do we have more support when it comes to students who are in crisis um, to meet those needs? Because um, we've really looked to our students to lead a lot of the core functions here, and I think it can be overwhelming at times for them thinking about the level of students that they're trying to reach. Um, to make sure everyone knows the core elements of what UVA is really about. We haven't seen that pressure from the General Assembly as probably the last year has taught all of us. Politics is incredibly unpredictable. So there's no way to necessarily know or predict if, if there will be that pressure coming in the future. But I do think the we feel really comfortable where things are right now. And I think there would be some concern if there was a push to grow much bigger, especially in 
in this context of self-governance, it gets harder to maintain as, as we get larger. We've certainly felt that. Um, one of the things I, I had meant to talk about but I hadn't was the we really are thinking of how to preserve self-governance into the 21st century as well. Um, we've initiated a new program called the Meriwether Lewis Leadership Program, which which um, is starts in the second year, and it's a collaboration between student affairs and um, some of the leadership faculty at the university, and it really is aimed at ensuring our students have a, a great under, underpinning and education of leadership from the perspective of university leadership as well. So they know, you know, if they want to aspire to these roles, kind of what they're getting into. It was also something that we focus on quite a bit with our student leaders in a, our summer leadership institute called Leadership, we still call it Leadership 2000, I'm not really sure why. Every year we struggle with that name, so but retro. a little bit retro now, I think. Um, it was not creative, and now it's retro. I think yeah. we've passed along <laughs> enough time. Um, but so we, we definitely, something that's something we emphasize during that program is, you know, how to work in this environment and how we are your partners in this environment. Um, another thing that our students have done, which is really exciting, is they applied for a Jefferson Trust Grant, Student Council, the Honor Committee, and the University Judiciary Committee, together recognizing that we were going to have literally hundreds of new faculty joining the institution over the next several years in talking about how to orient new faculty to this environment and, and with a real focus on self-governance. I'm excited to see. Um, I wrote my dissertation on self-governance, so this is incredibly important to me. Um, and I finally figured out why the old student council president checked out my dissertation and like came and talked to me about it. I was like, nobody reads this. Why are you even talking to me about this? But it turned out they were applying for this grant, um, and they did get it, and it's a really exciting opportunity um, to really do some education with our faculty about how they can how we engage differently with students here and how they can be part of that. Old to cold will never jump the shark, though. Ever. No. <laughs> I have another question. Um, will graduation continue to be split when the rotunda reopens? Yes, that seems very likely. Is there any chance, with the, based on the number of students, undergrad versus grad, that they would reconsider and have all undergraduates. I just had a daughter graduate, and she was so um, stressed because she couldn't graduate with her friends that were in specialty schools. We haven't. It was on the table. I would say we've been pretty liberal in terms of allowing students to walk together on the lawn. But if they. Really? Well, those of us who've policed the lawn have been pretty liberal about it, to be honest. You can't get tickets for your family for both days. That's not... It was honestly becoming quite difficult to manage the crowds on the lawn, um, given the number of people that we had, and it was really a safety concern. So when they went made this change, I think they're strongly considering continuing because it's much easier to manage in terms of the emergency management but aspect. to... to the student government piece of it, and I'm arguing purely from my daughter's perspective, the response that, that at least she interpreted that they got as students about not separating it undergrad versus graduate mm -hmm. was that the faculty didn't want to have to go to two graduations. Well, if it's about the student and it's about the student graduating, the faculty can go to two graduations if they're graduating graduate students and undergraduate students. It's about the student experience and being able to graduate with their class. 
Well, that's interesting. I think students, if they are interested in pushing back on that, they should actually, they should. I mean, we do have to work both days, so it doesn't make that's a difference. That's right. We don't give a, a day difference off. For us. Um, <laughs> From numbers perspective, it sounds like it's the same number grad, I mean, undergrads versus grads. Maybe I've heard the numbers wrong, but if there's 16,000 undergrad and how many grad students? Yeah, the, the number. There's a lot fewer grad students, so I think they went to college and other schools to to make it as even as possible because the college is just significantly larger than any of the other schools. But I would encourage uh, students to speak with folks about that. We don't necessarily control how, what happens at final exercises. Um, that's a conversation I think that would be welcome to have with the provost and others at the institution. Yeah, the office that um, really puts together all the plans for it, and it is it is a process. There was just a debrief meeting on Wednesday that I, I had attended, and um, I tell you, there was a school that did what they wanted to during during final exercises. So I don't know what happened with your daughter, what school she was a part of, but there was a school that um, felt like they have the right to walk through the rotunda and they made it happen on Sunday. And I tell you, it was very confusing to be at the south end of the lawn when they were coming down when they weren't supposed to. And we just, we make it work, especially if it's raining or super hot on final exercises day or people have been at the corner since four or five in the morning. Mm -hmm. But um, the major events office is the office that really puts together the details for that. And um, I, I definitely would, whether it's you and or your daughter, um, recommend reaching out because they are really open to making things better each year that, um, I mean, final exercises is the the final memory everyone has, and we want to be a good one. Just as, like, I care so much about move-in day, um, and and every everyone had a great move-in day, right, back when you were <laughs> first year, um, that, you know, the last day should just be happy memories. know if you can answer this but is it generally more expensive to live on grounds or off grounds the cost is um, about the same when you start adding in those other in intangible elements of living off so you can find cheaper rent off grounds for sure but where is it located are you going to have to worry about parking um, are you sharing you know your room with three other people um, cable utilities trash um, all those different things come into play that may drive up those costs a little bit more. But I know, I'm a realist, and I know anyone can find a cheaper deal somewhere off grounds, um, but our prices are inclusive of all the utilities and everything in one. All right, this is changing the discussion a little bit, but a question heavy on everybody's mind right now is that of rape on campus. Mm -hmm. It sounds like the university is doing a lot in terms of student safety. But my question is that of this conception of supremacy and entitlement. What is being done at the university to try and combat that growing culture? So a big part of the Green Dot program that we brought to the university a couple of years ago is um, having conversations with students about community 
and engaging them in the type of community we want to be at the university. And there's two principles under Green Dot, which is everybody has, nobody ha should be harmed in our community and everybody has a role in doing their part to keep that from happening. So those, those are the messages that we, we really talk about in the Green Dot program. Um, and I would say that you know, speaking to you at the athletic community, which I know is on the, on the front of many people's minds, given what's been in the news in the last week, they've been incredibly receptive to that message. And I'll say somebody who has who was working in that area for many years, that was not something that we would see very often in our athletic community. It was a, a very welcoming and inclusive community and one that was, I think, welcomed in the other parts of the institution. We're not an institution that you know, houses our athletes completely separate, separately. We're not an institution that treats our athletes any differently than other students in discipline or in anything in, in those areas. So uh, I think that you, we do a lot to talk about this community as inclusive, as supportive, and as a place where people should not fear being harmed. But certainly in any community, we know things happen. And I think one of the areas we've really focused on, and it is an area we were focusing on quite a bit, even prior to what happened with the Rolling Stone article, was really improving our response to um, issues of sexual violence. You know, we had a an interim policy that came out the day the article came out that was significantly improved our old process and policy, and that policy is now now not interim anymore. It's our final policy has been in place for almost a year um, and things have changed a great deal in that area. We've also hired a great number of of people working in that area. We have a dedicated Title IX office now and, and several people who work in that office who are really focused on education and on the on response. Um, and we, in my time in the Dean of Students office, one of the things that was really important to me, having met with so many students, was once once I met with a student, the harm had been done. There was no undoing the harm. I could provide services. I could provide support. We could provide a fair process, but we were never going to undo the harm. So one thing that was very important to me was that we have prevention coming out of the the dean of students office or out of student affairs in general and we did hire a position about two years ago and that has was enabled us to bring green dot to the university and has enabled us to do a lot more education and outreach on this subject and to work very much more closely with our student groups that are working on this subject so um, i'm really proud of the work that i did in this area i'm proud of the work that's moving forward in this area it's very exciting to be here in this time, even though it's been a very difficult time. Um, so I, I think we're doing a lot to combat that sense of, of entitlement and really thinking about how we're a community together. And I just want to add on that, um, one, it's, it's been a pleasure working with Nicole, who's a true expert in this area. Um, and I learned a lot from her as a professional to be um, working within my role every day on um, challenging students and really um, when you hear something or you know you're concerned about what's going on that you're extremely responsive and hopefully over time that we become a better place but it really takes not just our current students and our faculty and staff here but it takes everyone in this room um, 
to be committed to this university being even better than what what it has been. I mean, it's a pretty great place, but clearly we have issues here um, that are are true and common across the country, um, and that we can never settle for. Um, where we are right at the moment when it becomes something where an individual feels like their agency has been taken away from them. Um, so it, it is critical and when we have new staff come to interview they always ask what are the major issues at UVA? For the last two years and I've only been here for four so um, take that for what it's worth but my answers have been Title IX and diversity and multiculturalism. And back when you all were students here, those may have been the same issues at that time too. So it's just a different day and we're coming up with different solutions to meet those needs. We have time for one more question if anyone has another one to ask. Um, if not, they'll probably be available for a few minutes after the seminar if you have any other additional questions. When we're not on podcast. That's right. <laughs> Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you all so much for coming.